Hey, Liza, and hey, Rob. Thanks for thanks for being on this. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. You know, uh, Filipino Twitter was so lit this week. It's like there was like the um, I don't know if you guys were paying attention, but there was like this weird Megan Fox hashtag, and then I saw that. Was that and a then joke? Something. I, yeah, it's a joke. Yeah, it's it's a joke, it's, it's a joke <laughs> that's got layers. Yeah, I saw because I, I saw like Megan Fox's Filipino uh, trending or or whatever, and <laughs> I clicked on it, and and one of the first tweets I saw explained what it was all all about, and it was just about how she may have. It was just like a joke about how Filipinos love to claim anybody who might even have a hint of Filipino-ness in them. Oh, what is she, like 1 16th? One like, well, I don't even know what it is, 1 yeah. like, I didn't. I, that's more than I thought she was, so. Yeah, well, s- sort of like one of the accounts that sort of like was one of the main starters of it, they posted like the a screenshot of their DMs being like, yo, you know it'd be so funny if uh, we got Megan Fox's Filipino trending? <laughs> and the thing is, like the people who started it, a bunch of them are also activists. So as soon as they yeah. got Megan Fox trending, they were like, "Oh, also Megan Fox is in is uh, in favor of ousting Duterte, and she wants you to join Anakayan. She wants Anakayan you to join the revolutionary movement." Yeah. yeah, a lot of what goes like trending on Filipino Twitter is um, it's usually nonsense to me, so I, I usually <laughs> just ignore it. But um, this particular controversy caught my eye, and like. The part that I thought was so interesting is that it was not trending on Filipino Twitter. Um, I think a lot of the reason is that a lot of Filipinos don't know who Gia Tolentino is. Like, that's how removed she is from the community. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't know too much about her. I mainly know her as uh, the one who wrote the New Yorker article about Chapo Trap House. I remember, like, seeing her name back when I just would, you know, go through Jezebel years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really don't know anything about her except, but the one thing that was always remarkable about her was just how little Asian Americans, especially Filipino Americans, seem to claim her. Because I'd go on you know, the Asian American subreddit in which every, like e- even like the most obscure like YouTube channel Asian American will probably get mentioned. She was never mentioned at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what that's what always struck me about her. So, so apparently this is like meltdown May. Um, you guys been seeing what happened with like Doja Cat? I mean, I I I barely know who Doja Cat is. I don't know Doja Cat from Nyan Cat, but <laughs> there, there's like this whole controversy with her going on, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously the Allison Roman thing, uh, and it's just I don't know if it's celebrities are actually behaving more badly or people are just so bored right now that they're just uh, searching for things everyone (laughs) i think it's a combination of things i think that like one i think a lot of people are really burnt out on talking about covid19 oh for sure and anything that has to do with it and and uh they're like seeking out any kind of content but like no one is producing no one is producing anything right now um no celebrities are at least yeah. And so we're kind of just left with like, I feel like these are like the ashes of celebrity culture. Yeah. And I think that's good in, in a way. Uh, <laughs> Rob, are you, are you active on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, so, so you, I, I, Rob has active. gone viral like so many times. <laughs> and I reasons, have like, I I, if you ever like, I, I don't know if you yet. follow, <laughs> <laughs> if you ever follow like, um, those meme accounts like fuck Jerry or moist Buddha or any of those guys. Moist Buddha. Like, yeah. yeah, I know it's weird, but it's one of those <laughs> meme accounts that like on uh, Instagram. And then uh, I don't know what the meme accounts are on Twitter, but he's always like, 
I don't know, you, you sometimes I'll click on like one of your tweets, it'll like go past my my um in my it go past my feed in my timeline and you'll have like two hundred thirty three thousand likes. <laughs> well, the, the, and I'm just like, how do you do this? The, the weird thing about it is like um when something goes viral and like it starts getting posted to Facebook, like the Facebook facial recognition algorithm is very advanced now to where like Facebook will be like, Hey, you're in this picture, and it's just a screenshot of a tweet and it's using my fate my Twitter avatar. Jesus Christ. That's fucking scary. That someone like screenshotted something I said on <laughs> on Twitter. Oh my god. Which is like I was like, Jesus, man, this is creepy. But I mean also it's like it's an indicator of like some random meme page on Facebook like being like, Oh, look at what this person said. Cause I was I was like the recent one that went viral was like me dunking on some lady at one of like the reopen America protests. Yeah, and she yeah, was I like, saw that one. She was like in a full like nurse outfit, but like real sus, just because like she had a badge, like you know those badges that nurses have to get in and out of buildings and stuff with the card on it. Hers like had a piece of paper on it that said RN in Sharpie. Oh, and, that like, looks real official. Yeah, and she had like new scrubs that still had the creases in them from the package, <laughs> like very very clean white shoes that have Fucking haven't been nurse washed. Nurse cosplay. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Which is and, and, and she had a sign that said like nurses for reopen and it's like who's nurses? Is it <laughs> yeah, you? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of May, I w- this morning I was just listening to some music and uh, "Boy with Love" from BTS came on and that just uh, man like last year, last year we had a good didn't we? And then, you know we all thought <laughs> 2019 was terrible, but goddamn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can this only is- laugh about it. <laughs> Escape from Plan A. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host. Uh, wait, did I say Plan Y? I'll uh, yeah. start that again. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Chris. Uh, I used to be known as Oxford Condo, in case you haven't caught on. And we got a great episode lined up today, in which we'll talk about human trafficking from the Philippines, which has been uh, on social media for, for various reasons that uh, Liza, uh, welcome back again. She'll get, be getting in too soon. Hello. but. Hey, Eliza. We also want to welcome our very special guest, Rob Chang. Hey, what's up, Rob? Hey, what's going on? It's good to be here. Well, Rob, why don't you tell us a bit about the you know organization you work for and what you're all about? Yeah, so uh, my name, uh, again, my name is Rob Chang. Uh, I organize with a group called Katarungan, which in Tagalog means justice. And it's a DC-based uh, organization made up of uh, Filipino-Americans, Filipino workers, and solidarity allies um, who mainly organize around uh, the human rights situation in the Philippines and were affiliated with um, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, or ICHRP, if you're familiar with that organization. Can I plug Malaya Movement real quick? Oh, please, go ahead. Everyone, uh, it's me, Liza. You guys know me. But today I'm going to be repping Malaya Movement, which is um, an international organization meant to uphold human rights and democracy in the Philippines. Uh, Rob and I are close friends through the movement. We actually met last year at the first national summit for Malaya Movement. And um, I don't know, it's a really funny story how Rob and I met. Augusta, we were on our way to the rally outside the Philippine embassy for Bayan USA. And um, 
I didn't know how to get there. And Rob also, um, in his day job drives an ambulance around DC. So he oh, knew shit. all the, he knew, he knew like the best ways to get there and like where to park <laughs> and everything. So <laughs> ever since then, Rob and I have kept in touch. We, we've, uh, we've, um, you know, we've organized together. We've done, we've, uh, attended rallies together over the summer, like, uh, all out DC. Yeah, Rob. So, so I, are you like driving ambulances right now with with the coronavirus uh, emergencies happening and all that? Uh, yeah, I'm an EMT right now. So like, you know, kind of like not to go into too many details about it, but that's kind of what I do for my day. Wow. I guess night job because I normally work at night. I have to ask you, how, how do you feel about, you know, people calling you a hero and all that? Do you find it empty or, or do, do you do you appreciate that kind of sentiment? Um, I mean, I, I also... I have complicated feelings about it because I guess I appreciate that other healthcare workers are getting their due. Um, but I also do feel like it's empty in the fact that like, what am I getting out of it? Like what are, what are sort of like the material? Um, like how are you helping me look after my livelihood exactly, in the face right. of what's going on? Like it feels a little empty, but yeah, you know, I'm sure you guys are doing the same in Baltimore, but you know, at seven o'clock here in New York City, everyone will start cheering and, and beating pots and pans. <laughs> and there's this one person who always, actually not always, but often puts out like a, a song. And it's always the most just cliched New York songs like um, New York, New York, or like Empire you know, State of Mind. Empire State of Mind, you know, that kind of <laughs> shit. It's like, what are we just having like a five minute block party? Is that is that all we can do for for our people? You know, that so it, it does seem kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean. I guess, I guess like the one, I guess like New York Times thinks that they are, uh, what did they, what was their latest print edition front page? Oh, right. It was, it was like, like a, it was like nearing a hundred thousand deaths. And I think they mm-hmm. published the names of, uh, 1000, I think random people who had, who had died because of, of the coronavirus. Right, and right. I mean, it's nice that they're calling attention to it, but then, I mean, on Twitter, I saw everyone going like, oh, you know, obviously like blue check people going like, this is so heartbreaking and all that. It's like, yeah, we already know that. I don't see what this is accomplishing. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of feelings about the New York City media sphere, which actually ties into why oh, we're no. talking okay. today. Everything that we're going to talk about today, yeah. Per- perfect yeah. segue. Okay, I don't want to dwell too much on on the whole Twitter drama because I I think these people occupy too much of our attention energy anyway. But Liza, how about you give us an introduction of why this has suddenly hit, hit I don't know if it will call it the news, but at least the, the social media news. Yeah. So Gia Tolentino is a Filipino-American writer for New Yorker and the New York Times. She came from the Jezebel set. And uh, this week, she thought that it would be a really good idea to clear the air about the allegations about her parents. So she wrote this blog post um, on her personal website, detailing how difficult their court case was when she was in high school and college, and how her parents were also the victims in this situation, how she had to like drop out of Stanford and attend UVA in Michigan, and her family lost their $1.7 million home in Houston, and people keep updating her Wikipedia change. Uh, I mean, they keep updating her Wikipedia page and adding the charges against her parents. So I should note that like, this is one of the very few times she's ever even acknowledged that she's Asian, much less Filipino. So for me, the red flag was in the very first sentence of the blog post. Okay, so she says, starting in 2001, her Lola founded a recruitment agency for Filipino immigrants. And um, 
You can look it up. Actually, it's called Omni Consortium, and they were based in Houston. Um, you could Google it because there's so many articles about it because it was such a notorious case. I actually knew about this recruitment agency for a while, but I didn't realize until this week, like I never made the connection that it was Gia Tolentino's parents that they were talking about it or that were behind it. And like, as a Filipino, we all know what recruitment agency is a euphemism for. Um, some of the allegations against her parents were, they were accused of charging interest rates up to 70% on loans they would give out to their recruits, um, providing unfurnished housing by putting like 10 to 15 people in a single dorm room, no furniture, um, forcing a family member of the recruit in the Philippines to co-sign on the predatory loans so they can get harassed by collectors if the recruits are unable to pay up and that less than half of the jobs promised ever actually materialized. Like they recruited 273 teachers from the Philippines, fully knowing that only a hundred jobs were available. And then when they got here, Gia's parents kept all their documents, like their passports and their visa applications, and they threatened them with deportation if they tried to look for another job or if they complained about their unemployment status. They weren't even allowed to have their own transportation. Like, I, I mean, if you got, if you guys like watch a lot of um, Asian cinema, like Gia's parents would basically be like the bad guys in every movie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And like, the, okay, so I, I'm not going to dwell on the social media drama, but the defense of Gia is so frustrating and angering oh, to that me. That was sickening. That was sickening yeah. to yeah, see. There, there are people that will insist that what her parents did was perfectly legal, which I find to be a very weak defense. It's like, okay, so they legally exploited people and ruined their lives. And then there's like on the other side, there's the defense that insists that like, oh, well, we're all complicit in this system of forced migration and exploitation. And that's also a weak defense because it's like there's degrees of complicity and most of us and our parents didn't traffic and extort other people. Yeah, I mean, like using using that logic, everything is acceptable. Like we all eat apples that were probably picked by <laughs> yeah, uh, right. you know forced labor. So if some, especially if some like right, like I don't want to have to like defend right wingers. I mean, this is this, this is what I hate about these uh, people who are defending. They're forcing us to kind of sympathize with the people who are uh, attacking you know the the liberal media or whatever for hypocrisy. Because, I mean, I heard some people say these are just indictments or whatever. Like, fine, okay, that's a fair point. But that also doesn't mean you should act as if they're totally substance-free. Because, I mean, we saw, for example, what happened with someone like Aziz Ansari, in which just, like, basically rumors were grounds to just cancel him. So it's, it's really mm -hmm. just about who's, who's in your dinner circle, who do you who do you get drinks with, and if and if you're friendly with them, they're, they're exonerated. And, I mean, right. we see this with the Tara Reid bullshit and, uh, with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. just a whole uh, hypocrisy of it. I mean, that's, like, I think that's like a totally different episode. Yeah. We got more important things well, to talk I, about. The thing, the thing but, that's interesting yeah. to, the thing that's interesting to me about that is m like several of her defenders are people who like specialized in like quote unquote immigration reporting. I think yeah. one of, one of Vox's top uh, immigration reporters was like saying something like, you know, this is better than 95% of immigration oh reporting God, that I, I read that. every day. Um, and it's like you you're someone who's made your livelihood off of reporting on issues like facing immigrants. And now we're like validating someone whose entire article was, you know, like centering her, quote unquote, trauma around uh, her parents, like having to 
having their comeuppance for trafficking and their fellow Kababayan, you know, their countrymen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, like, there's some people who are also saying that this is like, quote unquote, this is like a complicated story. And it's part of like the rich tapestry of like American immigration and stuff. <laughs> the rich and it's like, tapestry. And like, yeah, it's a part of the immigration story. But no one within the community looks upon the recruiting agency as like, oh, yeah, those are those are the trusted members of the community. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's not that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Eric Prince and Blackwater have a rich tapestry they can cite to as well. <laughs> a lot of the people that Rob and I organize with are victims of these kinds of recruitment agencies. It's how they're here. Yeah. And I, I think that's a perfect way to to start talking about this matter because this this is a, actually a serious matter. I mean, regardless of whether Joe Tontino, let, let, let's even say she's like completely innocent. That still doesn't mean that this doesn't happen. And that's what we want to talk about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, Liza and Rob, why don't you, cause you know, I, I don't know too much about this. So why don't you guys uh, just give an introduction to, to what this is all about, how it all got started and, and let's just go from there. Okay. Yeah. Where do I even start? It's, yeah. uh... <laughs> I, I guess we can start in the, in the seventies, like even prior okay, to the seventies, yeah. like Filipinos were being sent to the United States and other countries for cheap labor, but specifically the United States. But um, if we want to talk about the current day situation, we should probably go back to the 70s and the Ferdinand Marcos administration in the Philippines, where they instituted a labor export policy or LEP. Now, the thing is, if you want to look up actual documentation about the labor export policy, it is not a formal thing that the government wrote down, right? It was just the government being complicit in incentivizing um, Filipino recruiting agencies to find vulnerable people in the country who had no job prospects and send them abroad so that they can in turn send money back home and inject uh, needed cash into the Philippine economy. Because at that time, like the Philippines, like many quote unquote, like developing economies um, is a victim of the system of the IMF and the World Bank setting up high interest rate loans with crazy stipulations over um, short, like five term or correction over like five year terms, right? Because this is a kind of the general MO of the World Bank and IMF, right? They find developing nations, they promise that they're going to give them an infusion of cash, they, you know, give it to them on a short term thing that like the IMF is not something that actually it purports to do um, long term investment for um, developing nations, but that's not really what they do. What they do is they create short-term loans with high interest rates, and then they give you a lot of like stipulations as to what you can spend the loan money on. And uh, they tell your government things like, you got to cut back on healthcare spending, you got to cut back on education spending. Um, with the case of the Philippines and like other countries like Jamaica, they would tell them like, hey, you got to devalue your currency. Because in order for us to give you this loan, your currency is too strong, you got to weaken it against the US dollar and other currencies so that you can attract foreign investors, right? And that's the general MO of how the World Bank and IMF and global capital operates. And what it does is it takes countries like the Philippines and um, puts them in like an endless cycle of debt, right? And in order to keep this sort of tenuous economy going, uh, the Philippines in the 70s and up until today encourages sending uh, Filipinos overseas as what we call OFWs or overseas Filipino workers. And they send them overseas as cheap labor to other countries. And uh, the whole thing is they send money home. And at this point, um, if you look at the Philippine economy, 
um, remittances, money that's sent home from uh, Filipinos abroad accounts for um, maybe 10% of the economy, right? It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And right now there's something like 4 million Filipinos in the US now sending mm-hmm. money home, which is like, it, it's it's keeping the economy going in a way because like they can't afford to keep going any other way. It's yeah. yeah, it's it's fucking sad. And it's like, where does that remittance money go? It does not go to education. It doesn't go to infrastructure. It goes to the mall. Like they just buy foreign consumer goods. So so it's like it's like the the countries they get the money back in a way, right? And through through the global capitalist system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that ten percent that that ranks the Philippines as one of the highest uh, remittance countries in the world, right? Yeah, few countries have as many of their citizens living abroad as the Philippines, or like depending so much on remittance and migration for just you know for vitality. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like why don't other uh, developing countries also do this? It seems like the Philippines is, is particularly high. Is there is there is there a special reason? Uh, you know, one of our, um, one of the people that we organize with is a former House of Rep- uh, Philippines House of Representatives uh, member. It's a Hmong Palatino. And he talks about the context of migration and trafficking within the Filipino economy. Um, he points out like the lack of development in the country has, how it's pushed people to work abroad, um, often with very like, harmful results and he talks about the political problems in the philippines which like it keeps the state it keeps the country in a state of underdevelopment um because we're just constantly subordinated to the economic needs of other foreign countries and like a lot of times um the philippines government it's it's like it's like written into the trade negotiations with um overseas investors where it's like they have to have access to that foreign labor market for our for our people. Right. Yeah. Right. There's some other countries that do engage in similar practices. There's a lot of actually um like we're going to talk about the J1 visa program later, but there's a lot of people from the Ukraine who are trafficked this way to other countries. Um there's a a program that's a big essentially the same thing happening in Japan that's called like the Japan like technical um, internship program. It's something like that. But it's a thing that the Japanese government does to get cheap labor into their country because they're very anti-immigration. So a lot of uh, like Chinese workers who are paid like almost nothing are promised technical training in Japan. And when they arrive in Japan, essentially, it's it's a similar story. They're shuffled into rooms with like 15 other people. They're harassed by their employers. A lot of them report sexual harassment from their employers. And they're, sh- they're shuttled into industries like um, oyster shucking, construction, textile manufacturing, and agriculture, um, and sort of like just kind of like left to the whim of their employer or sent home immediately, um, and they make no money back. Um, and some of them are living in segregated housing. There's even some a lot of farms in Japan are using this kind of labor. And one of the things they do to control the 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 laborers is they make them wear like different color coded vests. So if they go out into the city, like everyone knows that these are Chinese laborers, not Japanese citizens. So they know to treat them differently and before they come home. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, it happens in other countries, but there are some factors that make the Philippines like uniquely suited to being predated on by other countries. Part of it's the high poverty rate. 
But one of the things you see recruiters do, like especially like um, the company that uh, Gia Tolentino's uh, parents were running, they they sort of sell Filipinos as a commodity to the U.S. and other English speaking countries, right? Because of uh, history, the history of imperialism in the U. In, in correction, because of the history of imperialism in the Philippines, um, a lot of Filipinos learn English in school, right? Like my parents, right, for right, example, right. when they started going to school at five five years old, um, like my dad told me that he would get hit by his teacher if he spoke the Galogan class, right? He had to learn English. And so you have a large English speaking workforce um, that has no financial opportunities at home. And they keep selling us on that whole like, you know, like Filipinos are so nice. They're so hospitable. They're so patient. That's why they're such great nurses and teachers. And yeah, that's- you have like these recruiting agencies essentially selling their fellow countrymen as a commodity to other countries Mm -hmm. right right actually uh, that brings me to something i want to ask you guys because i remember i think this was um this was like a year or two ago i i was on facebook and um, a filipino friend of mine was talking about this episode i think of uh anthony bourdain one of his shows and he went to the philippines and he was talking about how uh you know how much he loved filipinos because they're they're the most hospitable people in the world, and and my Filipino friend uh, was very uh, flattered by this, and you know I love Anthony Bourdain. I I think he's a great guy, but I hear stuff like that, and I'm just, it just sounds so condescending to me. Like how how do you feel uh, when you hear things like that about how Filipinos are, are such like the world's most hospitable people? I mean, it is true, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like <laughs> at the same time, it's like, but it also um, it's also the cause it's like the it's it's like the the result of so many years of subordination and uh just you know just constantly be, be being beaten down imperialism colonialism there's just there's so many it's so ingrained into us now yeah and and definitely like something that i tell like younger folks when we're relating to them and like doing educational seminars is yeah like this is how a lot of westerners view you but like historically, like, you know, like if we're talking about the Philippines, like 7,000 islands, right? Many different language groups, many different ethnicities. Um, and there's sort of like this sort of myth that exists where people are like, well, if it wasn't for Spanish colonization and American colonization, the nation state of the Philippines wouldn't exist. And you wouldn't have a Filipino sort of identity if it wasn't for like subordination to other countries. And what I would counter that with saying is that one thing that's tied the islands together, um, maybe not as one um, united force, but in terms of like a commonality that they have is resistance and revolution to colonial oppression, right? Mm-hmm. We go back to 1899 and the war against the United States when the United States tried to make them roll over and become a colony, right? Um, we see like resistance now to US imperialism in the Philippines, right? So, um, while people would have you um, believe that, you know, like Philippines are hospitable. Like, I think I'm a pretty friendly guy, but <laughs> like, I think it's, it's something important culturally to remind uh, our younger folks and, you know, people of all ages uh, within the diaspora and back home that there's a proud legacy of Filipinos putting their, putting their feet in the ground, drawing a line in the sand and standing up and fighting for their rights and something they need to be reminded of because, you know, this is important. And like, like we're talking about now with, um, 
victims of human trafficking, right? Um, a lot of the advocacy that happens around human trafficking victims is being organized by the victims themselves, right? Who using their experience as um, being exploited labor, exploited um, overseas foreign workers in their own right have become leaders in the movement to fight for the rights of migrant workers, right? So like we're going to talk about later, like a lot of these statements and actions that were organized are being organized by the workers themselves, which I think is something that we should always remember. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you guys about what the typical like step-by-step -step process of a, of a trafficked Filipino or Filipina is because I, I read this article on The Atlantic by a woman named Nina Ruiz. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. have heard that. Oh, also, remember that Alex Tizon article that came out in The Atlantic? Was it like two years ago or one year ago? Uh, it was like my family slave about his Lola. So mm -hmm. so we've sort of known about this for a while because I remember that article making a big splash. He, I believe, died on the day it was published. So yeah. there wasn't mm -hmm. as much of a follow-up. But anyway, um, so in this article, it was about this. I think she was like a older woman in her 50s she had just retired as a school teacher but then she had her savings stolen from her by a scam artist so then she was told about this opportunity where she all she had to do was accompany this elderly filipino to the u.s and i uh, work as her uh, you know like a like an aid healthcare aid mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she goes to the u.s turns out that uh, older old woman that she was supposed to supposedly take care of was just a ruse to get her in the u.s and after that she was employed as essentially uh, a, a servant for this like this like Hollywood couple and if, if they treated her terribly worse than the dogs eventually she um, went to the cops and they got they got arrested or whatever and she's now doing well uh, but can you take us through like what, what's usually like like if you're somebody in the Philippines desperate to get to the US how does this usually work okay so if you were recruited for example um, or if you were looking for work in the US, um, a recruitment agent, you, you would probably contact a recruitment agency and like at that, I don't know, Rob, do you know at that point how, how they're vetted in the Philippines? Like, do you just look for a recruitment agency and then will someone will contact you cause you're looking for work or is it something like, do they have like offices set up in the Philippines where you would go in and you just, you just can't tell like who's legit and who's not. Yeah. So like the recruiting offices in the Philippines will, a lot of times they, they target like younger folks who mm -hmm. like, like since the economy is very poor, they don't have a lot of job prospects. Even like um, recent college grads will sign up to go with recruiting agencies overseas and they promise some things like, you know, learning job uh, experience overseas with the current J-1 visa system. Mm -hmm. um, the J-1 visa is called a cultural exchange visa, Right. And if you ask anyone who's here but on a really, J-1 visa- But really, it's a federally sponsored labor trafficking program. Yeah. And the thing is, like, when you get you get picked up by one of these recruiting agencies, there's many people who are here on a J-1 visa who claim that, you know, um, there there's a, like, signing the documents that would allow them to work there. They'll forge signatures. You know, they'll forge, mm -hmm. like, signatures from the doctors saying that, you know, you're cleared for travel. They'll forge signatures from their parents saying that the parents approve of them going overseas. And then in order to get even get your foot in the United States or whatever country they're trying to send you to, they will charge you fees up front, right? So they're right. charging- So like, here's, yeah, yeah, the the recruitment agency fee would typically be like $5,000 
um, American. And that includes like the $500 registration fee. Um, and then after you pay that registration fee, you have um, less like about a week to pay the first payment of like 3000 You can get your training plan. And then if you can't pay, the, the whole process is canceled. You don't, there are no refunds. And then you just have to start all over again. And then there's like, you move on to the next step, which is the visa interview. You have to pay the next $2,000 within a week. Again, if you can't pay, the process is canceled, no refunds. And so most uh, of these contracts, on, yeah. Before we go any further, I mean, $5,000 is a lot to Americans, but could you give us a perspective of how much uh, that is for for like the average Filipino in the Philippines. It's like almost a year's salary mm-hmm. for the average Filipino. So, so what happens is like even if the internship um, or the job is canceled, um, you, there's there's no refunds given at all. You just lost everything to the recruitment agency. Um, the U.S. State Department, like they. They actually like encourage these recruiting agencies and like they they encourage them to promise like high pay, professional job training, um, opportunities for cultural exchange. And those promises are very empty and instead they're paid less than the minimum wage in menial menial jobs and they live in overcrowded, inadequate housing with other J1 workers. Um, it's very similar to the situation that Rob was explaining earlier in Japan. And I mean, part of the problem, one of the biggest problems is that the Philippines has a very young population that is highly educated and with no opportunities in their own country. Yeah. And the thing is like, um, if we're talking about, um, quote unquote, like professional labor, like teachers and nurses, are two of like the skilled jobs that are highly sought after in countries for them to send people overseas. But then at the same time, the Philippines is undergoing a shortage of nurses and teachers, right? <laughs> so, oh, so there's like a brain drain going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is they're being sent overseas, like especially with the teachers thing. Like again, we're talking about uh, Gia's article, right? Like these teachers are being um, sold to other countries as, you know, stop gaps in the failing American education system. It's also you know, th- this issue in America it doesn't isn't helped by the Department of Education here because they're constantly cutting funding to mm-hmm. you know public education, investing in privatized education, and one of the ways for them to cut costs is by using um, Filipino labor to teach in these schools. But then at the same time, in the Philippines, it has one of the worst like I forgot what's number one, but it's like the second worst uh, teacher to student ratio in Asia. It's forty five to it's one. It's forty five to one. Yeah, yeah it's, and like a lot ridiculous. of schools, they have to teach their kids in shifts now where there's a day shift of kids that come in from like 6 a.m. to 12 noon. And then there's an afternoon shift of children that come in from 12 noon to whatever. Um, and that's how they have to split the school days. And then there's sort of like programs like Teach for the Philippines, which is affiliated so with and modeled, and modeled after <laughs> Teach for America, where they're getting oh, Filipino teachers. Which is already bad as it is. Yeah. yeah. Like you're getting yes. like Filipinos and they're even targeting Filipino Americans, you know, enticing them with like the sort of the the volunteer tourism aspect of being like, like, look at these poor brown kids. Why don't you uh, like help them get an education? Meanwhile, it's like the reason why there's a teacher shortage is because of this drain of um, mm-hmm. skilled teachers and sending them here to the U.S. Have you ever watched the promo video for Teach for the Philippines? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. 
it's a, the promo video for Teach for the Philippines is, um, the, you know, that killer song, all these things that I've done, it's like playing in the background and there's like the footage killers, of like, okay. <laughs> there's like footage of an overcrowded classroom and like, I, I mean, the whole thing, Teach for the Philippines is financed by Visa and World Bank, you know, oh. Rob explained all that stuff earlier, but I mean, that should be like a red flag right there. Yeah, I will, well, I haven't seen that video. I, I want to see it right after we end this podcast. We will provide a link in the show notes as well as other links that uh, the Rob has provided us. We'll mention that at the end. Rob, I got a couple of questions for you. Okay, first of all, are you saying that public American schools are using exploited Filipino labor to shore up their teacher shortage? Yeah, I mean, you can see that in different school districts because God damn. like that's that's what's going on. But then the thing is what they do is like there are teachers in the States that because of like, cutting education funding will be put out of work and they end up having to do things like just become substitute teachers in the meantime while they train for a different job. Right. Um, I think one of the worst ones actually where where Eliza lives in Baltimore was Mm -hmm. doing that. And the, and the thing is too, like with the situation that the teachers have, like the Filipino teachers, they're being recruited and sent into um, like uh, poor school districts without any knowledge of like what these children are going through. Right? right. They're not prepared or trained to deal with, you know, children who are disadvantaged and like to help them with their day to day existence. And like, like just s- sort of they're not educated on um, racial issues in the United States. Right. Like teachers being sent to Baltimore, like Filipino teachers don't know about the history of police brutality in Baltimore until they get there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And teaching like a like a classroom of uh, majority black children like and not being able to relate to them. You know, it's not necessarily the teacher's fault because they didn't know what they were getting into. No, they're they're in a position to fail. Like how do I mean even Americans don't know what the mm. hell's going on and it's yeah. it is like these are um it's all a direct result of the austerity measures that have taken place over the last two decades. And it's all on purpose. These aren't like accidental results. Like they want them to fail so yeah. that they can privatize everything. So they right, can just right. like tear it all down and build it back up. Yeah, the shock doctrine. Naomi Klein. Everyone should read that book. Uh, Rob, other question <laughs> I have for you: Could you, or and Liza too? Could you tell us more about this, like teaching for the Philippines thing? Like, who started it? How did they recruit? What's like the ter- like the length of service, etc.? I think it came from. It, I mean, it definitely came from Teach for America, and it's just like it's it's just like the American nonprofit industry decided to like come in and like we're gonna fix this our way. Yeah. Sorry, I don't really know too much about it other than it exists and it's bad. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as I said, if if it's modeled after Teach for America, it can't can't be too good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh Teach for the Philippines only launched what is it? Is it only like two years old now? It's pretty mm-hmm. new. Oh, oh just, I, I didn't realize it was that new. Yeah. Its parent organization organization is um Teach for America, which is basically just like a I don't know, just a very um it's like a summer camp for rich kids, you know? Yeah, before they go to law school or, or business school, right? <laughs> yeah, so they, they recruit like um, very idealistic college graduates to um, basically replace teachers in low-income communities after, what is it, the training camp is like five weeks long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had some friends who go, who go through TFA, and TFA has a reputation for turning recruits into zealots. And there, I think there's some like brainwashing that, that goes on in there. So yeah, definitely, you know, I, I don't yeah. trust them one bit. Mm-mm. 
no, it's it's not a good organization. And um, when you find out who it's financed by, it just it gets even darker. Mm-hmm. You like Eliza. You talked about how common this is, just like common knowledge in the Filipino community. Like you hear recruitment agency, everyone knows what's going yeah. on. Do you want to talk more mm-hmm. about that? Just like how your your everyday Filipino or Filipino American just just deals with this knowledge. Do you know of any people who have gone through raised, this? I was just raised. I was just raised with the knowledge of like, um, you know, like cousins in the Philippines who have explored moving overseas for jobs after they graduate from from college and they're just like oh you know you need to look through one of your family members don't go through one of those recruitment agencies it's like stuff that you would overhear in the house and among like conversations among family members since you were a little kid and it's like when my parents came here they didn't they didn't um they came here in a different time before all those recruitment agencies um were so rampant you know it's kind of like dad just showed up in in the states after getting his visa and then like uh you know he tells like very romantic stories about just like couch surfing in seattle for like six weeks and then one of his uh one of someone from his barcada out here in baltimore just said oh well there's a um, there's an opening for a surgeon here you just have to get you know can you can you fly over here i'll give you the money just come over here I'll, i'll buy your plane ticket and uh you'll be part of this You'll be part of the team here at the hospital. And then it's like, there it is. Dad has a job in in Baltimore. And uh, mom was pretty much the same way. Mom was recruited. Um, I think that her point of entry was somewhere in Wisconsin. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge healthcare industry out there. Mom was a nurse. And then she uh, got into Johns Hopkins nurses training program. Oh wow! Here in Baltimore, and so that's how that's how my family, my parents, ended up over here. But like sometime after their generation, like this is in the mid seventies, sometime after that um, is when the recruitment agency thing started happening. Yeah, you know, I, I think that I, I don't, I don't know the history of when they started. I just know that to me, they've always been around, and it's always something that you advise your family members against. Yeah, it's like it's commonplace enough to where like oh, the OFW like exploited experience is like the plot of Filipino romantic comedies back home. <laughs> oh, really? Like yes. like like one of the best ones that came out recently. It's like Hello Love Goodbye, which is just the plot is about like an OFW who is an exploited laborer in Hong Kong and like her experience of falling in love with some guy there, you know. Um but yeah, it's commonplace enough to where like everyone knows what it is, right? And the it's, thing is, yeah, it's, the, it's so big. It's yeah, like it's the and, ultimate boogeyman. Yeah, and like the government will say like empty platitudes about how OFWs are heroes, right? Because they're keeping <laughs> the economy going, um, while still like doing nothing about helping them uh, in their day to day and helping them like with their financial needs and like helping them when their recruiting agency or employer screws them over. Like not doing anything meaningful to help them, but still being like, well, you know, like you're you're the heroes of our nation, the the OFWs. Actually, I have a question about that. So the Filipino government, what are their incentives and disincentives to to change the system? Well, so the the in, there there is no real incentive for them to change the system, right? Because of the way that um they there there's no there's no uh like the the way out of this cycle of debt is like they're they're sort of subservient to all these other countries. Right, especially the U.S. Right, they're making a lot of money off of it, 
um, and not providing services to the people. So um, since, like we said, 10% of the Philippine economy is made up of remittances, they're not incentivized to actually help people. So right now with like uh, workers who want to go back home to the Philippines, a lot of them are sort of like left high and dry, um, especially with what's going on with COVID. Like um, mm -hmm. the government, when they're appealing to the government for help, the Philippine government to go back home or like financial assistance to help them get through um, paying their bills and stuff. Uh, essentially, the government said that we're going to help you and we're going to review it on a case by case basis because we don't have the money to help all of you. Like they preemptively said, we do not have the money to help every single person who's out of work. Because um, right now what's going on, uh, it's further, it's not creating a problem, but it's further heightening the problems with the OFW system is uh, workers who came to the US on the J-1 cultural exchange visa who were brought here to work in like mostly in hotels, other hospitality industries, restaurant workers, those industries were hit really hard by COVID. So a lot of these hotels closed down and without warning, they laid off or fired their Filipino J-1 staff, right? And a lot of them ended up immediately out of work. Um, now these folks are stranded because they don't have the money to go home. The government said some of you will get the money to go home, but you know not all of you. Um, the U.S. government isn't going to help them because that's not <laughs> that's not in their interest. Um, and right now they're just kind of stuck. Um, yeah, like a lot of the and folks the who went home. Agencies are still demanding that they pay back their loans. Yeah, because it's like a lot of time. a lot of the agencies when folks come here. Uh, part of their memorandum of understanding before they come over here is the stipulation that all of the loans and fees that you pay are non-refundable. And it'll say in the text, like, even in the case of you getting laid off or fired um, mm -hmm. or your, the employer terminating your contract, because those are two different entities. There's the employer and the recruiting agency. They'll be like, if your employer terminates your contract, you're still liable for this loan that we gave you or this fee that you paid. Right. And I'm assuming the J-1 visa is contingent on employment as well. Like once they lose that job, are they now like out of status or even unlawfully present in the U.S.? I mean, as a Canadian, I, I kind of had to teach myself a lot about this like work visa stuff. I'm actually thinking I'm not 100% sure on how that works. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. All right. I I'm assuming that it is uh, mm -hmm. because if the J-1 visa is, um, I mean, we, we can look it up later. But yeah, and then uh, these workers are also stuck in a, a very legally precarious situation because they could be in the yeah. country illegally. And, you know, if they ever wanted to come back, you know, they might they might have family here. You know, you can get barred for like three to 10 years, depending on on how how long you accumulate those unlawfully present days. So you, know, you can't leave because you have no money. Uh, you can't you can't stay here uh, because you have no job. No government wants to help you. It's a really fucked up situation. Yeah. So we talked about like the, the Filipino government's incentives and disincentives. What about the U.S.? Like uh, what has the U.S. done anything to try to I, I think, Rob, you talked a little bit before about how the U.S. actually is letting this happen, especially because it's, it's letting them kind of reinforce areas that uh, that they're short in, like teachers or whatever. Like what has the U.S. done about this? Are, are they kind of like secretly in favor of it? The U.S. loves this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, these are these are to the U.S. It's like bargain priced Filipino workers that can make the most out of uh, they can make the most out of the most minimal resources. Yeah. And there's sort of like any time the U.S. has taken a step, uh, it's because um, 
the workers who are organizing drag them kicking and screaming to do something about it, right? So there have been like investigations with people who are trafficked under like the H-1B um, visa program, which are like a lot of the teachers who came here. Um, but the thing is, that's why the J-1 exists, right? Because the H-1B is so toxic, like everyone knows what it's about. So the J-1 mm-hmm. is like the new hotness for human traffickers, right? Because they now they know, like everyone knows what the H-1B is about and so many people are scrutinizing and a lot of eyes on. So now they have this new cultural exchange visa that allows them to traffic more labor in. You know, part of the problem is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of lawyers in the U.S. that really don't know how it all works because it just keeps changing. Like H one B, J one. There's the T visa too for trafficked people. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, like, I immigration law is such a mess. Like, nobody really knows what USCIS will do. It's it's all right. on a whim. Um, uh, you, you ever go on forums? I mean, I, I've had to do a lot of independent research myself. It's often, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of South Asian. Uh, people uh, dominate these forums. They have like all sorts of questions, and yeah, you know, it's it's hard to ever get a straight answer because yeah, I don't think the is. government even knows what the laws mean. They just they just kind of make it up yeah, as they go I along. Would, I would say that most immigration lawyers don't know either, and like this is what they do for a living because it's so complicated. Yeah, and there's so many loopholes all the time, and that it it changes from like country to country and like circumstance to circumstance. And I mean, with, with the whole work visa thing, there's such an obvious power imbalance, right? Because if mm-hmm. um, like I, I've heard of instances in which the employer will also take away your passport. So you're just like, you know, what the hell? You know, you can't leave, can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if, if they ever wanted to, because they induced you to enter the country illegally, they could always go to the authorities and be like, hey, this person, you know, uh, you know, uh, no good, whatever. And especially if you have been settled here long enough that you have family and friends and then you get deported. Uh, possibly to a country you haven't been to in, in many years, maybe even decades. Like, yeah, and that's obviously very fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's kind of like um, when we talk about um, global imperialism and capitalism, like when we're talking about the Philippines and other colonized countries, like the country itself is is rich, right? It's the people who are poor. And when I'm saying rich, they're rich in natural resources and other things that can be exploited. And if you think about it, the way that what they're doing now is they're treating the people themselves as the resource, right? The cheap labor is what's being extracted from the country. Um, and this is like, like, even though like my, my, uh, even though mainly what I focus on is in the Philippines, like this is something that happens globally. Where you know the U.S., the so-called first world powers, extract you know the cheap labor, the raw materials, the oil, the gold, the the cocoa, the coffee from uh, so-called developing nations because um, you know that's just how they're making their money. Because like folks said before, like smarter people have said before me, like you don't go to a poor country to to do business, right? Yeah, yeah. you're going there to extract their wealth and enrich yourself. So for folks who are interested in supporting, so like we were talking about before, um, there's a large contingent of Filipino workers and other workers from other countries that were trafficked here under the J-1 visa program, right? To work in the hospitality industry. And like I said, like a lot of them have found themselves out of work and without the means to go home if that's what they want to do. So if you look online and just search for support J-1 workers, and we're also going to Hopefully, link in the show notes, uh, a link for you to sign up. There's ways to support. Um, one way 
that's very low impact for, for you, but high impact for us is to sign their petition, the open letter to the Philippine embassy for help. Um, there's also other options once you uh, see the link to help, like you can donate directly to J1 workers who need money to pay their bills and uh, groceries and utilities. And that's being arranged through NAFCON, the National Alliance for Filipino Concerns, in case you wanted to vet them independently, but they're a great organization. They do a lot of good work. Um, so yeah, you can do that. If you live in a locality near uh, J1 workers who need help, you can also volunteer to do like food deliveries, other things like that. There's a bunch of options. So if you click that link at the at the bottom of the page, you'll see um, different opportunities to help. Mm-hmm. And we'll be including those links in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. So Rob and Eliza, I think we're getting to the end. Uh, th- this is really informative, I'm sure, for, not only for me, but I'm sure for many of our listeners, a really important topic. Is there anything you, you want to plug again? Uh, you're part of some very important organizations. Yeah, um, I would really love to plug Malaya Movement. Um, as I said earlier, it is a, an international organization. It's anti-fascist, anti-dictatorship. Um, It's all about promoting democracy and human rights in the Philippines. Um, You can join our movement. Uh, The link is uh, malayamovement.com. And uh, you can go there and you can find out all kinds of information on becoming a member, on supporting us by donating, signing any of our petitions. Um, uh, If you don't have a local chapter in your own city, you can contact us and we can explain to you how to start your own chapter. You can attend one of our new member orientations. Um, We also have tons of resources on all of our campaigns. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to plug, so I'm a member, like I said before, of an organization called Katarungan, which is a DC-based human rights org focusing on the human rights situation in the Philippines. Um, We're like new and in a rebuilding phase. So if you're interested in joining, I'll be posting probably on my Twitter, because we, we don't have a, we have, we're not done building our social media presence, but I'll post on my Twitter a link for you to join in on Katarungan if you want to attend an orientation and learn more about it. Um, we're, we're both recruiting, uh, you know, Filipinos, Filipino Americans, and also solidarity allies. So non Filipinos as well could be interested in, um, you know, learning more, getting involved. And if you're not in the DC metropolitan area, we're part of the larger network, uh, iChirp, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines. So if you look them up, there's chapters all over the world, um, both in the Philippines, here in the States, you know, there's chapters all over Europe, in Australia, um, pretty much anywhere you find uh, the Philippine diaspora, they're present. And uh, mostly focusing on, you know, like I said, the human rights situation, um, ending U.S. military intervention in the Philippines, things like that. Right. And Rob, we're going to put this, uh, you know, in our show notes, everything about what's your Twitter handle so people can find you. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm at smooth poser. One word <laughs> okay. spelled the normal way. <laughs> All right. I, I'm um, going to say that, like, you probably already follow Rob and just don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if he goes viral that much, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, he's, people he's, have he's, seen his stuff and not even realized it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, for folks listening, I just want to remind everyone that like with uh, this controversy, like the Twitter drama that's going on in the midst of all this, like, let's not lose sight of the important part, which is the workers' struggle, right? We're here to um, immerse ourselves in the struggle of these um, exploited workers, and they should be at the center of this conversation and not, you know, like any of us here on the podcast, not a Twitter personality, not a staff writer, wherever, like... 
the main the main thing is to remember that there are exploited workers who need help now, but also um, we need to organize so that in the future we can help fight this system that's leading to this exploitation. Yeah, for sure. It's um, yeah, like that. Who, who gives a fuck well about the New Yorker or whatever? Um, Liza, I, I know you're not on video, so you can't see what I'm seeing, but. Uh, Rob, you want to talk about that beautiful Soviet rifle you have uh, hanging on your wall? We, we were talking a bit about it before we started oh, recording. Yeah, and- yeah, I mean, like, I just, I own, like, an old, like, Eliza knows I have, like, guns at the house, but I do have, like, like a Mosin Gant um, from World War II. Because, you know, the Soviet Union made, like, 17 million of these, so you can get them for pretty cheap. Um, they're getting more expensive now because people are buying them up, but I bought it when I was in Oklahoma for, like, $90, and then I slapped a scope on it. It's like a reproduction of like the World War II like Soviet sniper scope on it. Um, I've shot it a couple times. It, it, it shoots okay. It's not my favorite um, to take to the range just because the, the scope actually makes it harder to use because it's not too, it's not as good as like modern optics. But you know, <laughs> I kind of just keep it on the wall because I think it looks cool. It does look cool. I've I've never fired a gun before. The closest I've come to is probably when you go to a carnival you get those like bb guns or whatever that's mm. close as i've come to but i've always wanted to shoot a bolt action rifle just because mm-hmm. they just look so i don't know that i don't know if classy is the right word but you know with these modern guns they're like automatic and mm. stuff that it's too cold and stuff but there's something very uh almost artistic about a bolt action mm. rifle that i've always wanted to try yeah yeah no mm-hmm. my, my roommate definitely sometimes will just like dry fire it He's like, hey, can I? Can I he'll, he <laughs> well, goes, hopefully, it's all loaded. Yeah. Right? You're like, well, he walks up to me. He's like, hey, man, can I do the thing? I was like, what thing? Well, you know, the 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 ch- 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 thing is what he says. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, um, man. It's obviously, cool. the technical term. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, you got you got a tat, man. Yeah, I got. I, um, I see it. I got like sleeves done like this. Oh wow. Uh, you, as a closing, you you want to talk more about that? Just give a little story about how you got those. I mean, not really. I don't really have a cool story. I have oh, a lot okay. of things in, in my life going on where people are like, oh, what's the origin of that? I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, like, 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 like I don't, right. I don't drink, and everyone always wants like, oh, what's your sober story? I'm like, I don't really have one. Just don't. What's your sober oh. story? Yeah, because well, everyone, I think that's another thing, and this is like very off topic, but something that I no, could talk I get about the same for thing. a while. I don't, I don't drink alcohol either, and everyone's always just like, oh, do you have a story? And I'm like, I guess I've never liked the flavor. Like that's literally <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I, I think there, there's also this. Um, this like sort of narrative about like hitting rock bottom that like Alcoholics Anonymous is like big about promoting where they're like, yeah, you got to like, like once you hit rock bottom, that's when you know you got to turn your life around. It's like, yeah, well, you don't got to hit so. rock bottom to stop drinking. You could just also stop drinking. But, I, mean, once I, I woke up in a septic tank and that, that's when I knew I had yeah. to quit, man. Yeah. Like the, I, well, I don't have a cool story for that, any like, of my things. The flavor just isn't for you. <laughs> and you prefer drinking like fruit punch. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Fruit punch is good, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks. Uh, I think that's a good way to end it. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for for joining us. And this was a really informative episode. We lo- we love these episodes where you know we get to learn a totally new area that that really needs more light on. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like all this Twitter drama is really dumb. But hey, if it if it led to more light being shed on this, I think some good came out of it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so Liza and Rob, uh, thank you very much for joining Finally, us. Finally, a use for Gia Tolentino. <laughs> you got to get a little <laughs> dig in there at the end, right, Liza? <laughs> All right, so until next time, Escape from Plan A listeners, um, we'll, see you, we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye, thanks for having us Have on. Have a great night. Oh, 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 oh,